Welcome to this edition of On Liberty from the Centre for Independent Studies here in Sydney. I'm Peter Curti, a research scholar at the CIS, and it's a great pleasure to have your company this afternoon. Well, the world has watched with mounting horror as Vladimir Putin pursues his war against Ukraine. Russia's invasion of its neighbour, which posed no threat to Russia, has already caused huge amounts of human suffering and has quickly disturbed any complacency about the stability of the international rules-based order. This disruption to the rules-based order has grave implications not only for Russia's immediate neighbours and West European countries, it also has implications for countries such as Israel, with whom Russia has had a significant relationship. What impact is the war in Ukraine likely to have on the security strategy of Israel, a country which also faces instability in its region, most notably from Iran? And what of the impact on Jewish Ukrainians who have been confronted with devastation and displacement in their homeland, a homeland which has in its past a history of vicious anti-Semitism? Well, to assess the wider impact of the war Russia is waging against Ukraine, I'm delighted to be joined by Dr. David Adler, President of the Australian Jewish Association. David, a very warm welcome to you. Great to have you. Thank you, Peter, and a delight to be able to join you today. Let me begin by asking you about the situation now confronting the Jewish community in Ukraine. What news do you have and what do you hear from Jewish leaders there? Well, uh, the Jewish community has a very substantial history in the Ukraine. Uh, probably at its peak prior to the Second World War, there were as many as two and a half million Jewish people in the Ukraine constituting close to one third of the population that was devastated in World War II. Uh, there is a deep uh, religious tradition. Some of the greatest sages uh, in Jewish world came out of the Ukraine. Uh, people like the Baal Shem Tov, who founded uh, the Hasidic movement, which became Chabad today, the largest Orthodox movement across the world. Um, the uh, Rabbi Nachman of Breslev uh, and various other luminaries. So it is very distressing to see uh, the Jewish community being devastated. With little exception on this occasion, they are not being specifically targeted. We have uh, connected with a couple of the uh, local rabbis to get updates. And the situation is, is grim as it is for many of the communities uh, across the Ukraine. Uh, when we see uh, rabbis going into synagogues, collecting their Torah scrolls and walking out, mm. um, some walking all the way to the border, carrying their most prized possession, it does bring back uh, ugly memories, of course. Uh, Israel is helping to the best that it can. Uh, although, as we speak, only somewhere between two and 3,000 Ukrainian Jews have emigrated to Israel. Many of them have crossed borders uh, into Poland and other surrounding countries. So it's, um, uh, it is grim. It's looking ugly. As we all know, uh, residential areas are being uh, devastated in many parts of Ukraine, and it's very, very sad to see um, a place with such deep Jewish tradition um, having its Jewish community uh, hit so hard again. Mm. 
You mentioned the Jewish refugees making their way to Israel. They're doing that with the assistance of the Israeli NGO, the Jewish Agency. Can you tell us something about the Jewish Agency, about its history and its work today? Well, there, there are a number of organisations that are doing that, Peter. Uh, the Jewish Agency was founded in uh, 1929. Uh, it describes itself as providing a global framework for Aliyah, which is the term for Jews in the diaspora who choose to uh, migrate to Israel. Literally, Aliyah means elevation, to go up. Uh, there are a few organisations that are actively involved. The Jewish Agency is playing a major role. Um, the Israeli government through the Ministry for Foreign Affairs. And I mentioned uh, Chabad before, which is the largest Orthodox Jewish organisation in the world. It actually has 150 centres uh, in the Ukraine, including the largest Jewish community centre in the world, uh, which is located in, in the Ukraine. And uh, there's a lot of cooperation hmm. trying to get uh, people uh, across borders. Um, and there is a, a strong point worth making, um, Peter. Uh, Ukraine has an estimated two to two and a half million refugees. Uh, they may have more very soon, unfortunately. Uh, the group that has a definite destination to go is the Jewish community because of the role that Israel plays. Mm -hmm. And part of its constitution is to accept uh, as citizens, uh, Jews who are under distress from anywhere in the world. And that is being activated right now. And the Jewish agency plays a, a real role in doing so. Of course, escape from bondage is an extremely important component of Jewish identity because of the exodus from Egypt, something represented by the Hebrew word Mitzrayim. Well, in a month's time, Jews around the world will be uh, marking Passover, which commemorates the exodus. I imagine that Mitzrayim will have a special meaning today for Ukrainian Jews, especially as they make their way to Israel. You're right. I mean, some people... Uh regard Mitzrayim as the Hebrew word for Egypt, because it does relate to the time of the Exodus. Uh, but in Hebrew, it means a great deal more than that. It means a removal of bondage, it means freedom, it means being able to live uh, to your potential. And uh, at the moment, certainly the Jewish community in, in the Ukraine uh, is suffering uh, a lack of those attributes. Uh, I haven't heard the direct analogy with uh, the Exodus and Mitzrayim before, but it's an interesting one. Another interesting one in the timing of our event, our discussion today, is that this evening uh, we start the holiday of Purim. And Purim is an, another holiday where there was uh, an evil totalitarian regime that tried to wipe out um, the Jewish people. Fortunately, um, that, that ended in a much happier way. Um, so we do need to learn the lessons of history and, and reflect on our traditions. And I think there's probably a little bit of Purim and a little bit of uh, Mitzrayim, the relief of the Exodus that some of the Jews uh, in Ukraine are going through at the moment. Mm -hmm. Of course, one of the most significant uh, 
leaders with a Jewish identity in Ukraine at the moment is the president himself, President Zelensky, the uh, descendant of Holocaust survivors. And in recent weeks, Zelensky's standing has grown enormously. Uh, what bearing, if any, do you think that Zelensky's Jewish identity has on his role now as a wartime president? How do you think in, in, in there are ways in which his Jewish identity has shaped his role? Look, it's, it's interesting that he's been calling up Jews around the world mm. uh, to support the Ukraine, and of course many do. But uh, I, I've got to be completely honest that Zelensky has a bit of a, uh, a mixed history. Um, he is a descendant of Holocaust survivors, uh, as you say, and he is standing up against uh, Russia, and I wish him every, every success. But if you look at the uh, history of his administration, uh, he's, and, and him personally, uh, he has married uh, a non-Jewish woman. His children have been baptised. So if you like, he he's not carrying his Jewish identity forward through his family. Right. Uh, and then we, re we received a, a report on how the Ukraine has voted in the UN on the numerous anti-Israel resolutions which appear before the UN. And in the time that Zelensky has been president, there have been 17 anti-Israel resolutions put to the UN. Uh, the Ukraine voted against Israel 13 of the 17 times really? and abs abstained four. They not once did in uh, of the 17 resolutions did the Ukraine vote with Israel. Now, having said that, on a humanitarian basis, um, Israel is stepping up enormously, not just for the Jewish community, but for the general community in mm. the Ukraine. And I learned today that uh, Israel is shipping over to the Ukraine a gift of some bulletproof ambulances. Right. Uh, now, not many countries require bulletproof ambulances, but uh, Israel has a few. And through the equivalent of its Red Cross called Magen David Adom, which means Red Star of David, uh, today bulletproof ambulances are being shipped to the Ukraine. So that's that's really interesting. It's a it's a really important gesture, and I, I think Israel, like other democratic countries, wants to do everything it can to uh, support Ukraine. But uh, I, I don't want to paint. Zelensky is a saint. Uh, he he's not. He's got a bit of a bit of a mixed track record, to be honest. It certainly, I think, his standing has changed dramatically since the end of February when Russia did invade. I remember, I mean, commentators in the West were had their doubts about whether he was uh, whether he was capable of exercising mature political leadership. So I think the circumstances are, are testing him. But it's very interesting to know more about uh, his background and certainly the, the background uh, to Israel, to the Ukraine's vote, voting record at the UN, which I think often... Uh, yeah, I, I, think we've, I think we've all been uh, very much surprised by uh, not just him, but the Ukrainian people generally across the board, the, uh, the resistance that they have been able to mount against far superior... Uh, military forces, and I'm sure uh, uh, Vladimir Putin is as shocked as anyone. Uh, he probably expected a, a victory within days, and now he's uh, got forces that are bogged down there. 
and um, and at least struggling. Um, who knows what the end result will be? But it's interesting to see that the West is holding whatever support is being offered to Ukraine. The West is holding back, or other. I mean, uh, for the most part, it's the Western nations that are holding back from uh, from direct military intervention in the sure. world. Uh, I think we're sort of seeing, as I, as I mentioned in the introduction, a, 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 the emergence of a brave new world of today's uh, geopolitics where the rules-based international order seems to have been upended. And in those circumstances, it looks as if Ukraine's best chance for survival is likely to be self-reliant, self-reliance rather. Uh, and of course, a country that knows a lot about self-reliance is <laughs> Israel. What's the lesson of self-reliance do you think for a country like Israel, or is it that Israel has te lessons about self-reliance to teach other countries like Ukraine? Well, I think there's a two-way lesson here, uh, Peter. Um, the first is you correctly observed that um, other countries are not uh, physically helping the Ukraine in terms of military engagement. So the Ukraine is essentially on its own. Uh, and the lesson for Israel is, is very obvious, that uh, probably it, its number one threat is Iran. Uh, Israel is very mm -hmm. concerned that Iran might obtain nuclear weapons uh, in the event of an attack from Iran, which has sworn and in fact has legislation obliging it to destroy Israel. That's not widely known, but it does. Um, Israel needs to understand that in such a conflict, it will be on its own. Mm. The other aspect of self-reliance, which we have seen emerge in discussion, is related to energy. And uh, we know that uh, parts of Europe are significantly dependent on Russian oil and gas. Uh, Germany, I think, gets 40% of its gas supply uh, from Russia, which is enormous, and many other European countries are reasonably dependent as well. Uh, we know that the Biden administration um, opposed and stopped work on a pipeline from Canada, which would have enhanced uh, energy security for the United States. What is less known is that the Biden administration in January this year also announced opposition to a pipeline called the East Med Pipeline. That's not a medical intervention, it's short for Eastern Mediterranean. From Israel's offshore gas reserves, a huge gas reserves called the Leviathan Project, there is planned a pipeline through Crete to Greece and into Europe to enhance the uh, energy independence of Europe, at least give it another source of supply. Israel provides uh, gas to Egypt and Jordan, and there was a plan to uh, extend that to Europe. So I, I think there's um, a lot of lessons about self-reliance, and mm. probably the two at the top of the list, a self-reliance from a military as, uh, point of view, and self-reliance from an energy point of view. And of course, these are lessons for Australia as well, um, Peter, which, which we need to consider. Let me come back to Iran, if I may, um, yeah. because Russia has been friendly with Iran. 
negotiations uh, initiated, I think, by the Biden administration, really, on the joint comprehensive plan of action have been underway between Iran and the West, but they appear to have stalled now. What part did Russia have to play in that disruption? And how keen do you think Russia really is to avoid um, nuclear proliferation in the Middle East? I mean, we're seeing uh, Vladimir Putin raising the, the the stakes by talking about nuclear, the use of nuclear weapons. Does Russia have an interest in promoting nuclear proliferation in the Middle East? Um, well, one would hope not. Um, the, the last information we had was that Russia was uh, quite keen for a new JCPOA agreement and the lifting of sanctions from Iran. I guess with the, with the West uh, imposing sanctions on Russia, they're going to need every trading partner they can get. Uh, it, it is very complicated. Uh, Russia is embedded in Syria. Um, Russia works closely with the Assad regime and Iran, of course, <clears throat> largely controls Hezbollah in uh, Lebanon, and also uh, extends into uh, Syria. So there is a strategic military power uh, relationship between Russia and Iran. Um, it exists uh, in, as expressed in Syria and to a lesser extent, uh, Lebanon. Uh, Russia has moved uh, anti-aircraft technology uh, into Syria, the so-called S-300s. Uh, this has created a bit of stress with Israel. There is some behind the scenes uh, coordination uh, because Israel uh, knocks off uh, military supplies in Syria and Lebanon and doesn't want to accidentally um, shoot Russian assets. Mm. So there is a behind the scenes coordination and there's a bit of tension but there is communication and, and cooperation. So if, if you wanted to find more complicated uh, geostrategic politics, you'd have to search far and wide because I, I think you've, you've hit it there, Peter. Because um, Russia, of course, itself yeah. has had um, closer relationships with Israel, certainly under the administration of Benjamin Netanyahu. Um, and it, I mean, it would be probably stretching a point to say that there was an alliance between Russia and Israel, but certainly there were, um, there have been friendly relationships between the two countries. How important do you think those relations with Russia have been for Israel? And what impact will the war uh, in Ukraine have on those relations? That's that's why Israel has been sort of fence sitting on on some of the political issues. Mm. It, it has uh, condemned the Russian invasion along with uh, other countries. Um, Vladimir Putin uh, is not like the czars of old. Um, he's not viciously anti-Semitic as as previous leaders of the Soviet Union uh, have been. In fact. We have seen him personally provide one of Russia's highest awards to the chief rabbi of Russia, um, Beryl Lazar. And there's a story that when he was a child, he was befriended by a Jewish family who looked after him 
when he had uh, some tough personal issues. So there has been uh, an improved relationship. Um, it becomes more complex uh, when you look at what's happening uh, just north of Israel, because as the US has uh, pulled out of that region, um, it's created a vacuum and Russia has filled that vacuum of influence as, as a strong power uh, in the Middle East. So it is working with Iran, it is working with Assad, uh, and um, to maintain communications and a working relationship with Israel is, is important. Mm -hmm. I, I think the war with Ukraine is straining that relationship, but has not fractured it. Mm. The, um, it's interesting to hear you talk about um, Putin's own attitudes to, uh, to to Jews, to Judaism, to the Jewish community in 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 Russia, because of course in the Soviet Union there was a, a very long-standing campaign to secure the release uh, of Jews, many of whom went to Israel and yeah. and who enjoyed prominence in public life. What is the the situation today? Uh, like for for the Jewish community in Russia itself? Well, uh, it's better than it, than it was um, this time last century by, mm. by a long way. Um, and there are uh, very successful people in the Jewish community uh, in Russia. Um, some of the Russian billionaires are, are Jewish and uh, some of them personally have uh, a strong relationship with uh, Israel and a profile on the world stage. Um, the owner of uh, Chelsea Football Club uh, mm -hmm. is a Jewish Russian billionaire, although he said that he's going to sell the, the football club. So there's, there's not really barriers uh, now. Mm -hmm. We are hearing that uh, it has caused the Jewish community in Russia also some distress that the way Russia is treating people in, in the Ukraine, because there is a close relationship and many of them uh, have Ukrainian Jews and Russian Jews uh, in the same family. And in addition to having uh, applications from the Ukraine to uh, emigrate to Israel, uh, we are also seeing uh, applications from Russia as well at an, at an increased level. Right. Um, Israel's expecting something in the order of up to 100,000 Russian Jews to, uh, um, to arrive in the next year. I, I don't know if that number will be fulfilled, but, but that's a considerable number for a small country. Mm -hmm. Indeed. I mean, in this country, uh, the, Australian the Australian Jewish Association is a, a leading uh, Jewish organisation of which you're the president. Uh, what about the work that the AJA is doing with uh, Australian Jews of Ukrainian descent? Uh, the, there is a, uh, a very focused um, Jewish community of Russian and Ukrainian uh, descent in Sydney. Mm -hmm. uh, in Bondi, uh, the rabbi of the area, uh, Rabbi Ullman, is well known to us and we have been in touch with him and he's actually been the one that has facilitated introduction to some of the Jewish community leaders in the Ukraine right. with whom we've spoken. 
Uh, and what can we do? Um, we're, we're doing all the things that we're being asked to do to discuss the issue uh, publicly, to uh, pray um, uh, in religious services. And um, we have provided um, the resources, the, uh, the connections for those who want to uh, donate to assist the community. We vetted uh, a number of potential uh, avenues and, and came up with the one that we think uh, is preferred and happens to be the Chabad Fund. Uh, and they're really the sort of things that uh, the Jewish community uh, in Australia can do. Mm. And we, we will continue to, to do that. We want the conflict to end. Uh, we think what's happening in the Ukraine is outrageous. Um, we think we have a special obligation to support um, the Jewish community and to help those that want to go to Israel uh, to do so. Uh, and if there are those that want to come to Australia, we would assist them as well. Because it's been interesting to see that the uh, the positions of the federal government and the opposition have been very close on 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 Ukraine, and and there seems to be a really strong uh, consensus across the what what they call the political divide here. Um, how satisfied are you that Australia is responding in appropriate ways to the um, to, to this crisis? Well, Australia, we've got to be realistic, is a, is a small player uh, in this. And uh, as far as we can tell, Australia is playing its role as a participant in uh, applying the international sanctions, which are being done by uh, other Western countries. And really, that's all we can ask uh, of Australia. Um, we're not suggesting that Australia should send the uh, our defence forces over there to, to fight. The only thing that we um, thought was a bit confusing uh, was um, there was mixed messages uh, as to how Australia would react to Australians who wanted to go to the Ukraine mm. to, to assist the, uh, the foreign minister at one stage um, said that that would be a crime. Uh, other uh, members of the government have basically said, while well, they're not encouraging it, they wouldn't um, advocate taking action against it. Um, so I, I think it would be useful for Australia to, to clarify it, its attitude. Um, but apart from that, I, I think Australia is behaving mm. appropriately. I think it's interesting because we are clearly um, living with a very disturbed international order in which I think our our reading of, uh, of of strategy of geopolitics and the relationships between the great powers and other nations will will change. It's been a very it's a very complex um, and rapidly changing situation. Uh, David Adler, I'm very grateful to you for taking time today to talk about the crisis in in Ukraine, the the war in Ukraine, and the crisis confronting uh, the Jewish community in Ukraine, and the implications for this crisis in the Middle East, and particularly for Israel. Thank you very much indeed um, for your uh, your your thoughts and your contribution. And please know this comes with our very good wishes for your work at the Australian Jewish Association. Well, we we have a lot of respect for the work of the Centre for Independent Studies. We think yeah. uh, that sort of research and voice. Uh, is critical in a vibrant democracy. And as uh, 
some of the political voices uh, lose their way a bit, let us say. It's good to have organisations like the CIS who can speak on principle and with authority and, and uh, all strength to you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Well, that's all we have time for in today's edition of On Liberty. David Adler, thank you very much again for being my guest today and for such an interesting discussion. And remember that On Liberty is presented by the Centre for Independent Studies each Wednesday at half past 12 in the afternoon. Please join us next time. For now, though, I'm Peter Curti, and thanks for your company today.